July 26, 2023. We're in Masechet Beit Sandaf, Lamedaled Amud Bet. Let's go back to seven lines from the bottom of the Amud. Uh, there were several concepts and issues that we addressed, and ultimately speaking, culminated in our Mishnah as the proof, the Re'aya for this matter, and the Gemara now is going to continue to challenge that. If you recall, the issue was as follows. When it comes to Ma'aseh, when it comes to taking a tenth of your produce, giving it to the Levi, which was done on six of the seven years of the Shemitah process, only not on the Shemitah year, the seventh year, but every other year you gave a tenth of your produce to the Levi. Um, the halakha with regards to that are several fold. And the important issues for us are, number one, you're only hayav b'ma'aser, you're only obligated to give that tenth once the produce was brought into your home or your courtyard to your home. That's called re'iyat p'nei habayit. Hachamim ha'vadirasha, how they get to that halacha. Uh, that's number one. If you were to be eating from it before bringing it into your home or out in your courtyard, you might recall from Masechet Rosh Hashanah, I think we addressed it furthermore, the Hachamim described how there were loopholes to this. You could, technically speaking, go through the back entrance of your home and never be hayav ma'asir. The issue was you went through the gates of your home. If you never did so, I remember we, we talked about this at length at the time. All right, so that's, but that's the halacha number one. Uh, if you were to eat it outside of there, you can technically speaking eat as much of it as you want without taking a tenth. The hachamim, the rabbi said, at the very least, no permanent meals before you uh, enter your home, but you could have temporary eating as much as you'd like. Uh, that's number one. Number two, the only items which are hayav b'ma'aser, obligated ma'aser, are items that are finished, right? In other words, in terms of the production of what you're going to be using this food for, you're finished. You're up to the point where it would be going in your mouth. I mean, you might be cooking it or something of that sort, but with regards to what the fruit or the vegetable or the grain is going to look like, it's finished. And that means to say, if you're going to dry it, if that's the normal procedure, or if it's your mindset with regards to this item, um, it's not going to be hayab ma'asir until you finish the drying process. Prior to that, you're not hayab ma'asir. Could you take the ma'asir? You could, but you're not obligated until that stage. And as a result, you could eat from it prior to that if that's really the intended um, goal with regards to this uh, item. Uh, that being the case, uh, we had several last halachot. Um, it goes like this. If you took an unfinished item into your, um, into your home, under such a circumstance, by entering it into your home, we had a certain kivyot. Well, our halakha question in the Gemara specifically was, if you have an unfinished item and it's Shabbat, you see, when you have an unfinished item and you brought it into your courtyard, it's not hayav b'ma'asir until, again, it's finished. And now it's in, uh, you have a kivyot, you have that uh, permanence which was, uh, it received. Shabbat, well the Shabbat question is, will it change it from, well said, a snack to a meal, even if the item is not finished? Again, when I bring it into my home, the only time it's going to be obligated in ma'asir is if it's now a full pro product. And now I'm, and it's in my home. You generally speaking, need both of those qualifications. With regards to Shabbat, if I have neither entering it into my home nor it being a finished product, what would the halacha be? So the Gemara suggested, by means of our Mishnah, that the halacha that the halacha is that Shabbat is kovat. It gives it the permanence. It makes it into a meal under all circumstances, irrespective of whether it went into your home 
or if it was a finished product with regards to the way we just described that, is it's going to be hayav b'ma'asir. Why? The pasuk says, v'karata la shabbat onik. The understanding is that anything I'm involved in on Shabbat is significant. It's onik. It's for beneficial reasons to me and my family. That's a permanent meal, and as a result, you'd be hayab ma'asir. That was the answer of Rav Nachman Terhava, if you recall, to which the Gemara Morzutra tried to bring a proof from our Mishnah. Here's the proof from our Mishnah to that. Again, our objective is to prove that when it comes to Shabbat, even an unfinished item is considered permanent to the extent that it's hayab b'ma'asir. There is, by the way, parenthetically, a halakha question that's addressed in the context of this Gemara. You see, when it comes to Kiddush on Shabbat, the halakha is, you have to end Kiddush ela b'makom se'udah. The Gemara in Masechet Pesachim and Dafkof Aleph says, if you're going to do Kiddush properly, you're having food afterwards with the Kiddush. What's the definition of food? Uh, well, it's not simple. Shohan Aruch and Siman Resh Ayin Gimel deals with this. Does it mean that I can even have the wine and enough of the wine will count as my meal? Halakha al-Ma'aseh is yes. Mizonot, hamotzi, absolutely. What about fruits? Would fruits count? I heard Kiddush, I want to fulfill the mitzvah of Kiddush, I didn't drink enough of the wine, I'm going to have a few, uh, a, f- a few fruits or nuts that are out on the table. Does that make it Kiddush b'makom se'udah? Have I fulfilled the mitzvah of Kiddush? Was it permitted for me to eat this food? Well, where did we come up with this concept of Kiddush b'makom se'udah? Rashbam and Tosafot and Masech Pesachim right there and Afkof Aleph suggest it's from this pasuk. V'karat ala Shabbat onig, your kiriyah, your calling out of Shabbat through Kiddush should be m'makom onig in the same place that you're enjoying. So some suggest as a result, based on our Gemara, you see, if Shabbat by definition, from that very pasuk, v'karata la Shabbat oneg, when I have the produce which is brought in into my hands on Shabbat, or I designate it as eating on Shabbat, is considered not a snack but a meal, shouldn't fruit in turn be qualified as something that I can say my kiddush with and consider it my meal afterwards? Do you follow? In other words, if the very pasuk that the Gemara is deducing from it, that it's permanent on Shabbat, any of my produces, it's that very same pasuk which teaches me I need to have a meal together with my kiddush. Well, that's very simple. Fruits should be included. Ironically, though, or unfortunately, Shohan Aruch is not posek lahalacha this way. When it comes to fruits, you don't fulfill your mitzvah of kiddush b'makom se'udah. It needs to be either the wine, the mizonot, or the hamotzi. Okay, but that being the case, the Gemara now has Morzutra. And Morzutra deduces this halacha, that again, Shabbat, we're going to use the words just in Hebrew straight now, Shabbat is kova'at lema'asir, even when it's lo nigmeram from our Mishnah. How from our Mishnah? Our Mishnah was talking about a circumstance situation where the person decides, I'm going to be eating from this food, these dried fruits which are not entirely dried on Shabbat. Says the Mishnah, you're allowed to do so if you designated before Shabbat. Fantastic. Says the Mishnah, but make sure that it's Shemitah. Make sure it's the time of the year when you're not Hayav b'ma'asir. Hold up a second, says Morzutra. I don't understand. If it's an unfinished product, that's what we're talking about, that's why you would have an issue of mukseh, well then clearly I'm not dealing with a circumstance of kivi'ut le ma'asir, even if it entered into my home, my courtyard, 
It must be Shabbat has this elevated status. Shabbat onik to tell me it's considered permanent and hayav to the extent that even though it's lo Shabbat is kovat. Those are the words in the Gemara that we led up to yesterday. Ta'ama, seven lines from the bottom, dishivi'it. Our Mishnah told us specifically that you can designate these fruits or vegetables that are on my roof, which we're drying, as something I'm going to use on Shabbat. If it's shivi'it, if it's the seventh year where you're not hayab b'ma'asir, delav bar isurehu, you're not hayab b'ma'asir in such a circumstance. You don't need it take a tenth on the seventh year, as we discussed from the Pasuk yesterday. If it was any other year in the seven-year process where you are obligated to take Ma'asir, it seems clear from our Mishnah, you'd have an Isur. What's your violation? What's your prohibition? Ma'asir. But wait a second. It's not Nigmer al-Melachto. Clearly, says Morzutra, my father, Rav Nachman, was right. This tradition that we have, that Shabbat is so strong that even when the product is not finished, it's already hayab b'ma'asir. We look at it as a meal as opposed to a snack. You can prove from our Mishnah. Is the reason not because Shabbat gives it at that permanence, answers the Gemara or deflects the Gemara. This is new for us. Lo shane hatam Kevan de Amar Mikan Ani Ochel Lemahar Kava Le Ilave. Says the Gemara in response to this proof, not a good enough proof. Because think about the circumstance. Uh, pay attention to the words that were used by the individual. I'm standing before Shabbat, looking out at my roof of drying fruits. And I say about these fruits, tomorrow I'm going to be eating from these fruits. What have I effectively said about these fruits? I've effectively said that in my mind, these fruits are done in their process. In other words, we're talking about bringing up proof that even when something's not finished, you can consider it finished with regards to ma'asir based on circumstance, Shabbat. Over here, it's not Shabbat per se that designated it. My words were that which designated it. I looked at these fruits, I turned to my wife, turned to my friend, turned to myself, and I said, I'm going to eat from these fruits tomorrow. That's Nikmer al-Melachtan. Very good point. You're ahead of us again? Eli says, wait a second, how are you now going to eat from it? Remember, Eli, though, that our Mishnah said, remember that our Mishnah said, it's not Shemitah year, right? It's a Shemitah year. There is no Hiyuv Ma'asir, right? That was very clear. Well, our Mishnah did say that, says Eli. If it wasn't Shemitah year, that's what our Mishnah is hinting to us, you now wouldn't be able to eat from it on Shabbat. 100%. That's what seems clear from our Mishnah. That's the Halakha. Right? That, that is exactly the point that... You're making, I think, an extended point, which we're going to address in just a moment. But again, just to address that very clearly one more time, it means that I can deduce from our Mishnah, the Mishnah gave me context, gave me situation, you're not hayav maser. Why not? Because it's Shemitah. Then and only then can you eat from these fruits on Shabbat. Wait a second, that seems to tell me, even though the fruits are not finished, the hayav maser, because it's Shemitah, I don't have a problem with maser. And says the Gemara, no, it's because you designated them as, so to speak, finished by saying, says the Gemara, if that's really so, uh, if that's the case, says the Gemara, you're telling me it's not because of the status and stature of Shabbat 
that these, this produce now is Hayab Maaser. And it just told me, I had nothing to do with that. What was the reason that it's Hayab Maaser? What elevated its status, Eli, from a snack to a meal? My words. Well, my words could be during the week as well. It has nothing to do with Shabbat. Why do you put this Mishnah in Masechet Betzah? It was a confusing sugya in Masechet Betzah when I thought we're talking about the laws of Yom Tov. And really, this is a law which belongs in Masechet Ma'asir. Ma'asrot has nothing to do with our issue. This is not an issue with regards to Shabbat. You found the convenient circumstance. You said it before Shabbat. But really, it has everything to do with my words establish a reality. By saying that I plan on eating from this, I elevated it from a snack food to a meal food. That's it, it doesn't belong over here. Says the Gemara, no, there's an additional hidush, there's a novelty, there's something that you wouldn't per se have known, and that's why it's mentioned over here. Hakamashma'nan, this is what we learned from this. Detevil muchanhu esel Shabbat. Shimavar vitikeno metukan. The suggestion of the Gemara is there's a hidush over here. The word tevil is an important word with regards to ma'asir and tiruma. Tevil means produce from which I didn't take ma'asir. Now, let me give you, for example, the Shohan Aruch and Siman Shin tells us that if you were to do melacha on Shabbat, full-fledged prohibited activity, I'm not allowed to cook on Shabbat, I went ahead and I cooked something which was inedible to the extent that cooking was necessary and I made it edible through cooking, I'm not allowed to benefit from that food afterwards. That's called ma'asir Shabbat. There's a prohibition. Let me ask you a question further. When it comes to tevil, where we know you're not allowed to, as Eli told us a moment or two ago, take ma'aseh from it on Shabbat. What about if I go ahead on Shabbat? I take something which is hayab ma'aseh, I take the ma'aseh from it. Can I eat from that afterwards? You'd imagine, no. I just told you a moment ago, if you did melacha on Shabbat, it's prohibited to now benefit from it ma'aseh Shabbat. This is mahloket. We've learned this in Masechet Sanhedrin, actually, as to what the parameters, what the reasons. Is it on the Oraita level, on the Rabbanan? But ultimately speaking, I'm not allowed to eat from it. What about Tevil, if I went ahead and I took from it? The deduction from our Mishnah is that Tevil might be different. The deduction from our Mishnah, the understanding that we're setting forth, goes like this. I'm standing, says the Mishnah, on Erev Shabbat, and I really have only an issue of Ma'asir and Mukseh in my mind. I'm looking at my fruits and I say, I'm going to eat from this tomorrow. Says the Mishnah, to get around the issue of Ma'asir now, make certain that it's Shemitah, then you won't have a Ma'asir issue. If I didn't stand on a Shemitah year and I say these words, I'm eating from these fruits tomorrow, is it now considered Mukseh or not? Didn't take ma'asir. The deduction from our Mishnah is that it's, but it's not Shemitah. On a non-Shemitah, our Mishnah is talking about non-Shemitah. The deduction from our Mishnah is, is that our Mishnah is telling you how to solve that problem on all years. If I were to, on the Erev Shabbat, the reading of the Mishnah then goes, say, I'm going to eat from this tomorrow. Tomorrow I have a problem of ma'asir. If I'm a daring person, go against violations of the rabbis and take the ma'asir. Can I now eat from that stuff? Let me say it differently. Is that stuff considered mukseh? The answer is, it's not. That's the, that's the hidush over here. Why would you distinguish? Even if you sin to get there. Right, right. Why would you, why would you distinguish between this and bishul? Go ahead. On Shabbat, let's say you do something that's not allowed. It's 
Asur. If you did it b'mezid, it's asur le'olam. Here we're talking about b'mezid firstly. So he's it's like, taking the ma'asid, knowing what he's doing. Yes. That's the, uh, yes. And the, and the understanding is it's still mutar, or at the very least, yeah, it's still mutar, and as a result, the fruits are not considered mukseh. But it is Asur. It's a Mishnah explicitly that's coming up that's Asur. So why would he distinguish? The explanation that Rashi suggests is this is Asur Midrabanan. When I talk about Bishul on Shabbat, I'm dealing with an Isur from the Torah. Over here, taking Ma'aseh, what was the reason? Do you recall? The reason we don't take Ma'aseh into Rumah on Shabbat and on Yom Tov is because it looks like Mitakim. And not actually fixing something physically, it looks like it. The rabbis did not extend their severity to that extent. That was one of the other approaches in the Gemara. Good for you, Rila. Yes. Say it again. If you accidentally took the truma, cooked on Shabbat. So the specific halachot on Shabbat you couldn't eat it. Cannot. But you can eat. After Shabbat you could. That's how we go lalacha. On Shabbat you could not. Right. Now there's difference. Uh, uh, Based on circumstance, based on situation, you know, should it arise, and it has arisen for people in very severe ways, we try to deal with it as appropriate, but yes, in the strictest sense, it's Asur. So that's what the Gemara says. So the Gemara then suggests that our Mishnah was telling us that with regards to the halachot of Shabbat, even if you went ahead, you violated, the only issue you really had was Ma'aseh. Shabbat, you averted that. By designating it before Shabbat, it's mutar. It's mutar to the extent that it's not mukseh. It's mutar to the extent that it's not going to be asur afterwards. All right, that's what the Gemara then has challenged. So again, let's be clear. We thought we had a proof from our Mishnah that Shabbat is kovat even on davar shelonig melachto. The Gemara deflected that. How the Gemara? How is the Gemara doha? The Gemara says no. Maybe our Mishnah is only because of your dibur, because you said mikanani notel. If that's the case, what's the chidush on Shabbat? The answer is everything we just discussed. Continues the Gemara. Vehalo motaro hozer. Go ahead. To be shul and pretty much everything else, and it's not. And, and how's that reflected in our Mishnah? Our Mishnah told us it's not considered mukseh if you made that designation. Then it said, if you want to get around the ma'aseh, make sure it's shemitah, right? And is it rare that you would have a situation when you make a sin and then you're allowed? Yes. 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 Now, now, let, now let me be clear, however. It's, it's not impossible. We do have such realities. Um, you know, I was just, uh, just this past Shabbat, I was studying with my son, the second perik in Masechet Kiddushin. So the Gemara over there mentions how the rabbis suggest strongly, with the severity of an Isur, don't get engaged to a woman until you see her. That's the statement. <laughs> now, my son laughed as loud as you. I said to him, listen, a different era, a different time during which marriages and engagements were not exactly love-driven dri- the way they are today. But the statement of the Gemara is nonetheless, Shemei Yir'e Ba'davan Miguneh. You might see something disgusting on her. V'titkane alav, she'll become disgusting to you. V'atorah amra, v'rahmana amra, v'ahavta l'reacha kamochen. The Torah says you have to love all people, and you're going to come to hate her, it's going to be a disaster.
of a marriage. Now, the Mishnah, nonetheless, over there, at the beginning of Daf Mem Aleph Amudal, Kiddushin says that you can send a messenger in order to engage your wife. So one second, the Gemara is telling you it's not ideal, but the Mishnah says it does work if you violated the rabbi's words. We have such realities. Um, there are many, what if you stole something, which you should never do, and then you did an action with it afterwards. Not the act of stealing brought you to it, you did the Kiddushin, kiddushin afterwards. Lava Gazul, you know, we talk about it, so forth. But, but, but the answer is... But, you stole something and you did something with it. And so Jared's referring to Mitzvah Ba'aba the Mishnah, the beginning of the third Perik of Masechet Sukkah. Okay, regard, right, right, right. So anyway, right, so the, the Gemara, however, over here, uh, brings us forward with another challenge, however. It says the Gemara, V'halo motaro chozer, v'shami'inan le'lerbili ezed amar kohecha de motaro chozer lo kava'a. So the Gemara, in its challenge, it's going to take us a little bit to get there and understand and piece everything together, but begins with a concept. The concept is motaro chozer. Motar means leftover, like yoter. Chozer means it goes back in. Uh, what are we referring to? Well, you might recall our Mishnah talked about a situation. We, we talked about things of this sort. What happens, or we talked about it afterwards, what happens if I, took, I, I designated something for Shabbat, and then Shabbat is over. Do I now still need to take ma'aser from the item which is left over? Remember that reality? In other words, I initially underwent, quote, a kivi'ah, a kivi'ut, but then I had leftover stuff from it. So l let's pause and reflect on that. I have something left over which I didn't include in my actual meal. I had mindset that it might be. Our Mishnah says, I'm going to take from any of this stuff. I take from some of that stuff. The deduction from our Mishnah is now all of that stuff is hayav b'ma'asir. Wait a second, even the stuff that's left over, stuff that's left over, quote unquote, I can pick up and put back into the barrel. I was never actually using that. I thought I might use it. That's what we call motaro chozer. The leftover goes back. What's the status of the leftover which then goes back? Do you now need to take ma'asir from that? Or is it in the snack stage again? In other words, I took out snacks and put them on the table as part of the meal. People didn't touch them. I picked them back up and put them into the cupboard. Do they now have the status of a meal afterwards? That's motaro chozer. Uh, so the statement says the Gemara v'halo motaro chozer. Are we not in this circumstance dealing with the leftover, which is coming back, and call it again to a snack state, snack status. We heard, we learned elsewhere, his opinion is, any circumstance where it's the leftover coming back in, uh, it doesn't have a kivi'ut. It it's not considered permanent to the extent that it's hayab ma'asir. Again, how this is a challenge yet, we're not certain, but let's lead this through. Where does Rabili Ezer say that? How can we make sense of that? To our sugya ditnan, as the Mishnah says in Masechet Maasrot, Hanotel zetim min hamaatan, Tobel ahat ahat bamelach veochel, vim taval venatan lefanav, isera, excuse me, asara hayav. Rabbi Yehazar Omer min hamaatan tahor hayav, min hamaatan tame patur. So here it is, the Mishnah ditnan. Hanotel zetim min hamaatan. 
Zetimar, olives. Ma'atan is a utensil where the olives would be left and uh, brought to vat. Perfect. Um, so a person, when, when left in a vat, you're waiting for those olives to come to an oozing out state where they're going to be transformed into oil. But instead of using it as oil from the vat, I grab it, I dip it in some salt. Rashi says the dipping in the salt, you may have imagined, makes it even worse. Maybe that gives it a certain permanence. Snacks aren't dipped in salt. Even though I dipped it in the salt and then put it in my mouth, I don't need to take ma'aseh from that. Before it's finished, it's not considered hayab ma'aseh. This is a davar shelo So one more time. Hanotel zetim min ha'ma'atan. A person's taking one olive and dipping it in salt and popping it in his mouth. No ma'aseh. Take next one and so forth. You can take each, dip, and eat. What if you grabbed 10 from the vat, stuck them into the salt, and then ate one, two, three, but I had left over from that? What's the halacha going to be? Now keep in mind, when I took 10, that's not a snack any longer, but I only ate two or three. So I have leftover from what essentially was considered meal-like produce, but I only ate a little bit of it. So the leftover stuff, I want to throw back into the vat. Are those leftover items now hayav ma'aseh or not? Says the Mishnah, hayav. First opinion says hayav. Let's put it back to our case. I put the snack out on the table as part of the meal, even though I returned it to the fridge, to the cupboard afterwards. But it's not, it's not finished. But you include it as part of your meal. You made a kaviyot. Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, Rabbi Eliezer disagrees. Rabbi Eliezer explains as follows. Min ma'atan tahor hayav. Min ma'atan tameh patur shehu mahazir etamotar. Rabbi Eliezer distinguishes. He says, listen, and we'll fill this out in the Gemara in a few lines. The person himself, we're imagining or understanding, is tamid. He's impure. The vat is pure. If the person grabbed the items from the pure vat and he himself is impure in such a circumstance, he is not returning it back into. Once you put the 10 out on the table in front of you, they are removed and not going back into that vat because by definition, you put them back in the vat, you made the vat impure, you gave a permanence by taking it away. What if, give me one second. Let me do. If the vat, however, is impure and you are impure, it means by taking it out and then returning it, you didn't change its status. It goes like this. The question is, as you removed it from the vat, put it on the plate in front of you or table in front of you, are you effectively removing it from one place and putting it in an altogether place, different place? Says Rabbi Eliezer, that's the st- that will be decided by have you changed its status and can it be returned to the same initial status? In other words, if I am Tameh and the vat is Tahor, I remove these items from the vat. They are still Tahor, but now I begin eating from them. I've made them tameh. To return them to the vat now is to put something that's tameh back into something that's tahor. That in that situation, you've removed them. How qualifies it from being pure, the 
the question is with regards to the status of the person or something that has touched them, are those things, are those person or things uh, impure? Have they touched something that, that died? Have they come in contact with death and whatever? In other words, the vat of, of olives has someone handled it who was tameh and in turn imparted a tumatra. Through a utensil? It depends, what the, it depends what the utensil is made of. Over here, in this circumstance, keep in mind, the guy is tahor, right? Oh, the guy, so, so the guy is tamim, the item is tahor. Now the question is, if, how would you even have a situation where, and this, this is the key, maybe this is what you're asking, how would you have a situation where the guy took the olives from the vat, and the vat and the vat didn't become tameh, right? Do you understand? Let me just repeat the Rabbi Eliezer and then then finish with that question and the answer Rashi and Tosafot gave to that question. So again, the situation is as follows: Here's the vat, and the vat has in it olives. Now these olives have not finished. They're not hayav b'maaser. I can grab one olive and eat and so forth. That's fine. If I take ten out, kiviyot. However, I'm only eating two or three of them. I want to throw the rest back in. Say the hachamim in such a circumstance, the halakha is hayav. Once you took them out, you established them as kavua, and even though you put it back in, hayav b'masa. It says Rabbi are not so fast. The question is, with regards to this, that, I am tamir, is the assumption. This is, if it's tahor, and I took these olives out and put them on the side, and now ate from them, I made the remaining ones tamir. To say that I'm now going to put them back in, that's not putting them back in. That's changing the status of that, they are in turn are hayab b'maaseh. If alternatively, the vat was already tameh, I removed them from the vat, I ate from them, I put it back in, they're still not hayab b'maaseh, that's the halakha. That's the key part. The hidush here is that a Eze can imagine that if I have leftover items and I can, in a normal, uh, natural way, put them back in, I'm not hayab b'maaseh. Somehow that's going to come into play in our issue. If you're tameh and you're going into the vat, Good. Good. So now, the last question that's... That's right. So the lingering question we have over here, which the Gemara did not address, which we're addressing, is by taking those olives out, the whole vat became Tamir. So we have three approaches to this matter. Rashi gives one, Tosafot gives two others. Rashi uh, says that the, the case in, in this circumstance is um, you only touched very carefully makom maga'oz only tameh. You only touched, as you took out those ten, you grabbed one and another one, whatever. You didn't touch the vat, you didn't touch anything else. That's Rashi's suggestion. Tosafot says, maybe you, you used peshute uh, keli'etz. You took a, a, a simple, uh, doesn't have a keli kibul, a wooden uh, vessel, which isn't, it doesn't impart, doesn't accept tumah, and that's how you, you had a shovel of some sort, a, a simple, uh, a flat shovel with which you took them out, and you didn't impart it. Alternatively, says Tosafot, your friend took them out for you and gave them to you. Either way, you slice it. It's three ways of getting around that question, Alan, of how you didn't make the vat tameh. Okay, but that being the case, where we're standing in the Gemara then, we have now a reality. Rabbi Eliezer, who's the same rabbi who spoke in our Mishnah, his opinion is that when something is returned afterwards, it's not hayav b'ma'aseh, right? Motaro hozer. And in turn, let's just read the words in our Gemara and try to figure out what they're doing over here. At the very top of the Amud, says the Gemara, in our circumstance, through your speech, 
by designating these items and in turn establishing them as something that's permanent. I on Erev Shabbat said I'm going to eat from these items. That is by definition a motaro hoser situation. Anything that's left over is going to be going back in. I didn't even touch them at all. There's no tuman tara to make up. That's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. In other words, you didn't do anything at all okay. over here. Your speech is what established it. And in turn, I have to keep in mind that I'm in our Mishnah. And in that case, well, in that case, they're not touched. But our Mishnah was never dealing with Tuman Tara. By definition, in that circumstance, we consider that Motar Ochozer. Anything that's there never was handled, never was separated, never was distinguished. It's just the same as when you took those olives and you put them back into the vat. And we know that Rabbi Ezra elsewhere teaches us anytime you have, quote, the leftover items, there's no Kivi'ut Lema'asir. Ditnan, as the Mishnah teaches us, What's the difference between when the vat is tame or if the vat is tame? In the initial case where the vat is tahor and the person is tameh, the person in turn has no chance of returning those items to the vat and maintaining the status of the vat. Says the Gemara and the Sefa, where we're dealing with tameh and tameh, we can in turn understand the person removed those items and places them back in. But essentially, the Gemara then says to us, we have an issue. If you'll take a look together with me very briefly at Rashi, okay, we'll come back to this tomorrow. So essentially, we're up to this point. Somehow, this issue of Motaro Hoser is going to affect our learning of this sugya. It's an issue that we're going to have to address because it's Rabili Ezra's opinion in our Mishnah, where there's only speech, and somehow we're not going to be able to square that opinion that he set forth in our Mishnah with his opinion elsewhere of Motaro Hoser being Patu Mena Ma'aseh Baruch Amen ve amen.